0: Hello and welcome back to Emma and Tom's PGCE podcast. We are very nearly at Christmas.
1: We are and we are very pleased to welcome a very new guest to our lovely podcast studio, Bethann Rowlands. Welcome. Thank you very much. Would you like to just um, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are? Um, You are our colleague at Cardiff Met, so a little bit about what you do before we talk about your research. Okay, so I'm a lecturer here
2: at uh, Cardiff Met. Um, I teach on the BA Primary Education with QTS course. I do it through the Welsh medium and with the English medium. I also lecture here with the PGC Primary and PGC Secondary. I used to be a teacher, teacher for 20 years, and then I've worked in University of South Wales before coming here to Cardiff Met. And would it
1: be fair to say that you are an early career researcher? I'm a very early
2: career researcher. I hadn't researched in my 20 years of been a primary teacher. I hadn't researched really in that role. I'd only started to research once I started in the university.
1: So I've been in the last two years active researcher. Joachim Fajan, thank you very Thanks much. Sure. And I think it's important to say that we have an award winner in our midst. We do.
0: We're bowing down to you, Bethan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Which is just such an accolade, given what you've just said about how how new to the world of research that you are. So I'm, I'm really kind of excited to interview you, along with my lovely Tom, today about your research, because... You won, and I'm going to get this right, you were the joint winner of the British Educational Research Association's Poster Prize 2019 on your work entitled Raising Awareness of Dyscalculia. Did I say that right? That's correct, yes. <laughs> Within the educational setting. So...
0: The mighty bearer.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. you got a question on that straight off the bat, Tom, haven't you?
0: Well, I was just, yeah, thinking because we are... I guess, quite early career researchers as well. And we've been to um, the BISA conference, British Educational Studies Association, and they are lovely. We love BISA. They're, They're incredibly nice to us. Bira, though, they are the kind of, you know, they're the big league in our kind of world. The British Education Research Association, they write the ethical guidelines that we all follow when we're doing educational research. You know, the words on the grapevine is that it can be quite intimidating going to Beera and presenting. So just in case we fancy taking a step up the ladder, how did you find presenting at the mighty Beera for your first conference?
2: Well, it was my first ever conference. So that, um, wow. for me, you know, it was, I hadn't, I didn't know what to expect. So sometimes blissfully ignorant about it. So um, when I completed, I was part of my work for the postgraduate certificate in higher education. I researched into dyscalculia and um, I'd finished this work and it came at the time when you had to submit an abstract to, to Bira. So I decided I will have, give it a go and I so Many of my colleagues at University of South Wales at the time decided to do the same and was absolutely delighted to have found my abstract was successful so I went at it created the poster and a little bit maybe naive maybe I wasn't sure but I've never been to anything like this before didn't know what to expect and we went and we had an absolutely fantastic time they were very welcoming when we arrived we were given stickers with well it was quite large stickers with new attendee Aww. so then people would come and <laughs> talk nice to you, <laughs> you oh, and really um, come and welcome you to, to uh, we were very delighted to have um, bacon rolls for <laughs> <at> breakfast <laughs> <practice. laughs> But um, No, it's very good. So so with my presentation, I had to be there for two-hour slots um, for people to come and talk to me about my uh, project. Everybody was so welcoming. They were really interested in the subject. They wanted Mm. to know more about it, and it was fantastic. There was nobody there that wanted to catch you out or be nasty. And then I was very fortunate. Many of my colleagues also were presenting at Bira, so I went to their presentations as well, and... Everybody who was listening, you know, some asked, some were very good questions but there was nobody that was very intimidating or nothing so they were fabulous
0: fair play. Sometimes naivety is just a good thing isn't it I think I think that's what I uh, hopped on when I said to Emma shall we make a podcast?
1: (laughs) Yeah I remember that.
0: You had no idea. No idea
1: no that's really reassuring to hear really reassuring and I guess before you tell us about your award-winning research the first thing that we and I'm sure our listeners would really like to know is what is dyscalculia? Okay, so dyscalculia summarised is dyslexia
2: in maths. And it's not very well recognised or understood maybe in the profession as maybe dyslexia is. So research has, has proven that there's so many children that we understand what dyslexia is, but they just don't
1: know the signs of the uh, of identifying children with dyscalculia. OK, lovely segue to my next question. So how would we, and I, I'm going to say... <sighs> adults as well as as teachers working with with pupils how would we recognize identify this lifelong condition in ourselves and in, in our pupils so the key things you would be looking at really is
2: the the, the as it says it discalculate the calculating so the inability and the the quite being able to calculate and children can't count very well They they continually it's They get to a point where they, they, they'll get to 10, 11, 12, they'll stop, they won't show what's coming next, they'll need support all the time. Uh, they get directional confusion, so what you'll find is that children um, looking at a clock, quarter past and quarter two the whole thing they just cannot identify the differences between the two so it started I first identified it from my daughter um, was very poor in maths and I couldn't understand why she 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 wasn't really progressing as she should be doing and I was a teacher at the time and I must have been teaching for about 14 years and I remember one of my friends came to me and she said to me I, You know, maybe she's got dyscalculia. And I remember at that time, I was um, being in the profession for 14 years and I, I didn't know what it was. And from that point, I knew I needed to research and help my own daughter. So through that, I really wanted to find out how I can help her because she, she has difficulties with time, telling the time, with money and place value is terrible. And obviously the key things you want to teach your children is money, to tell the time and times table, she just could not recall. The memory retention is terrible. She can't recall timetable table. And it is like the best way I can describe it is somebody taking a hard drive out of a computer. And just taking it away. So you've taught something, you've overlearned it, you've given them the strategies, you've helped them. They've got it that day. You go back the next day, and it's like the hard drive has gone, mm-hmm. and and they've got to, and you've got to start again. So it's changing the strategies of how we teach somebody to be able to get them to understand. You know, the, the how to do math. So you break it down. Tables, for example, you would do two two times six is twelve, and then just look at patterns. For example, maybe four times six is. 12. Um, and then look at the doubling of it and just those just learn those key facts before going into anything else, mm. maybe relating
1: it to things. But uh, so that's how I started really the journey of researching dyscalculia. And you mentioned um, in your research that very few teachers are, are trained to work in this field and a real discrepancy between our, you know, our understanding and recognition of dyslexia um, in comparison with dyscalculia. Why do you suspect this is? is lack of training, uh, lack of awareness, I think, at the moment. I think there's a lack of funding
2: and in research at the moment in this area... Many researchers say themselves, you know, um, that it's time that dyscalculia caught up with dyslexia, mm. you know, that we do need to raise awareness. You know, if we, uh, I think if you ask any of anybody, do you know what dyslexia is? I think the majority of us would acknowledge that. But when it comes to dyscalculia, mm. I don't think we do. And there's a lack of research um, and time in it at the moment. And so, really, I wanted to raise awareness from a personal perspective of my daughter who who really finds it difficult in maths and would benefit from these strategies in supporting children in multisensory approaches, really, in teaching them multisensory approaches, and, you know, the same way as we would with dyslexic children. So I thought sort I of wanted to raise awareness from my research work.
1: And I guess enter your research. Um, So before we talk about the findings um, from your study, and I'd really like to ask a bit more as well about multi-sensory teaching approaches, but we'll come to that in a moment. Tell us about your study. Who was involved? What was your methodology? So how did you go about gathering your data? Just kind of the nuts and bolts of that
2: no problem well when I started the um, poster presentation what I did I did this with the students I was working with I wanted to keep it um, my my main aim was to raise awareness with the with the students within the university that I taught and um, so when they went out to classes that they actually became more aware of what is dyscalculia and identify children and
1: how to support them and these were sorry to interrupt you these were BA primary students that's
2: correct yes so they PA BA primary studies um, with QTS, uh, they were in level five, so in their second year. And so I went about, first of all, I did a um, whole cohort lecture Mm -hmm. and I started the lecture really. And I put a questionnaire out and I just popped it out and I said, do you know what dyscalculia is? Has it ever been identified? You know, when you're out on placement, did any children, were any children diagnosed? And it came back. The results were quite shocking. Um, Hardly any of the students had ever heard of the word. They didn't know what it was. So it was then we went about then giving them in the lecture materials giving them ideas giving them approaches to help them um, to support their children when they go out to schools and then at the end then I would I asked them you know from from the materials that I'd introduced to them would they use it in the classroom and they were all Hundred percent of them said they would.
1: <laughs> yeah, quite compelling um, stats. I've got it here. You said a staggering fifty-one percent scored zero. Zero being no knowledge of dyscalculia, and the remaining forty-nine percent scoring between one and five. So very brief understanding. Yes, very brief. Which is quite shocking and it bears is. out, you know, everything that you that your hunch. That's right. Told that's you. right. And then asked. I asked the students as well.
2: Is when they were out on their placements, how many of the children Children were actually diagnosed with dyscalculia, and I um, I think one child was identified at the time. Of being identified with dyscalculia.
1: Yeah. So triangulating those stats, and you just That's go, it. wow, this is this is a, a significant problem. So I went,
2: I studied further then for my MA, and found we went to a specialist dyslexia centre. Thirty of the children all have specific needs in dyslexia, quite severe. To be going to the centre, released um, for one or two days a week into the centre. So I went to observe them, asked them about dyscalculia as well. None of the children have been diagnosed with dyscalculia, dyscalculia in the centre and then I did also do de- teachers perceptions of how to teach maths um, in the classroom and what we also found is that by th- I went around schools locally in Cardiff and from all the schools and all the teachers I'd interviewed it, it mounted to about 1,200 children all within Cardiff and not one student
1: has ever been diagnosed with dyscalculia. Wow. Shocking, shocking stats, really. So you mentioned in, in your research that you used multi-sensory teaching approaches and you modelled those and use those with your BA primary students. Can you tell us a little bit about those strategies and what they involve? Yes, of course, of course. So multi-sensory is getting
2: them to be when we're teaching that we must use more than one one sense. So really using resources, being hands-on. So the more resources you use, the better. We can use IT to support. Children can record um, a method so, then they can go back maybe and replay what they've done to remember how to do a certain strategy. So, it's trying to get them to explain the process mathematically. Um, maybe they're writing it down and also they can record how they say it on, on an iPad um, using l- as many resources as you possibly can. You know, they do say it's visual, tactile, sensory, supports children so much more and they grasp maths better by, by using um,
1: multi sensory approaches. I was really heartened um, to see that part of your research involved asking the students themselves for recommendations about raising awareness of dyscalculia. Um, How important was it to get your student teachers views? it was very important and it helped a lot with my research to have their
2: views you know the lack of knowledge in schools as one of my students says lack of knowledge in schools when it could be as common as dyslexia need to spread the word which is a really powerful quote from one of the students they were fabulous and and also i introduced a dyscalculia in the additional learning needs conference here in cardiff met and the students were absolutely fantastic they they went to twitter went to social media we got the message out and the the tweets from that particular day was astounding and you know it was it's so nice to to feel that support as well you know that they also believe that you know people need to be aware of it and how to help students so they've been absolutely fantastic comments
0: i don't know if this is a bit of a controversial question a thing i'm known for asking in these podcasts (laughs) but thinking about this difference you've pointed out between dyslexia and dyscalculia i i'm i'm thinking about people who've come out and kind of condemned the almost the fashionability of saying oh i'm rubbish at maths you know that, that it's almost okay to say that I'm trying to get to the bottom of, of why there's just so little understanding of the existence of dyscalculia. Do you think there's just a bit of a, a, a sort of feeling somewhere in, in society that some people are just rubbish at maths and hey-ho? And that's something that Do needs to you know, it's be very interesting out. for
2: you to say that because when I was doing my MA work, one of the teacher's perceptions, he said, you know, um, his words were, it's as if people say it's okay yeah. to be rubbish at maths. But you'll never, ever admit that I can't read. Yeah. And and for me, that hit home, to be honest. Um, it is true. And you'll find, and I've had it so many times sitting in parents' evening, and they'll say to me, Oh, I'm rubbish at maths. So my daughter's rubbish at maths as well. And I just think, my gosh, you you need to you know aspire, and you need to say you can do this. You know, this is statistically, you know, forty nine percent of our adults have maths equivalent of an eleven year old. So so the maths, it's just astounding the results at the moment. That you know, I think this is why also dyscalculia has gone undiagnosed. Adults are suffering and and also not getting the support needed with with poor numeracy skills. And um, it may be something that hopefully with raising awareness, money might be invested to hopefully be able to find out, get some assessments done properly, formal um, diagnosis, you know to, to identify these children
1: and I think thinking more controversially again there's a very big push uh, I would say in the UK and I would imagine worldwide in developing pupils literacy and numeracy and here digital competence skills and I wonder about the way we test numeracy and um, we test our, our student teachers when they come into this institution I, I believe they do it in most UK institutions for teacher training and it's a 30-minute test and I wouldn't say it's particularly multi-sensory, Not at all. so I just wonder what your views are on on how we test for, nu- for numeracy skills and whether you think it's the right way. That's true. Yes. Um, so we, uh, they
2: do get tested. They have to do their audits, and um, it is it's difficult maybe to comment because I think it's it's a Welsh government requirement, and yeah. you know to come into the profession. Um, to be a teacher, I think you do need um strong literacy and numeracy skills, and I suppose they are maybe ways to identify there are no opportunities to be multi sensory there are no opportunities to be visually has to be quite quick mental maths mm-hmm. so as a teacher, but we do need good math skills uh, to be able to deliver the lessons correctly but testing from you know when you think these poor children they have to be sometimes do 30 second challenges that pressure you know not every child performs well under those circumstances you know and sometimes you think about their well-being as well you know that they are feeling possibly you know those that achieve brilliant but those that are underachieving and unfailing you know and not getting those answers right you know it's very very difficult for those children it's
1: not an easy one is it how, how we measure it is is always the age-old uh, problem isn't it with it's education true. okay um I just would like to know uh, we've we talked a lot about your your findings but what were your most compelling findings from from this research I think the
2: most compelling findings for me was and also linking to my MA work really is the lack of diagnosis um, for dyscalculia mm-hmm. that i think we're far off for children having the formal diagnosis that currently you know there isn't a formal assessment you know when i was talking in the dyslexia center that they use to be able to identify it so when children are suffering from, uh, unable to do maths very well you know obviously we refer to the educational psychologists but i don't think there's a formal assessment at the moment and i would really love to research further into this formal assessment that they would need to require to do to to have a diagnosis that children badly need, really, you know, to help and support them in the classroom. So I think that was the shocking results for me that, you know, of over the 1,000 children that were in the schools here in Cardiff, that and, you know, there's only a small section, really, a sample that I'd asked, but it was still quite shocking that there's no diagnosis in Cardiff.
0: And Circling back to the initial point about research when I mean, you mentioned you were a primary teacher for 20 years and you're still kind of early career with your research work we know that here in Wales and more widely there's a push to get uh, more research into schools more teachers as active researchers not saying they can all become beer award winners like your good <laughs> self but would you have any words of advice perhaps for the colleagues that you left behind in school when you came to the higher education world about how they might like to just dip their toe into this world because it sounds like you found it really fulfilling
2: I have found it fulfilling and I think I ha- I came from a personal perspective where I really wanted to identify and, and I wanted to support my own daughter and I felt at the time it's I like I couldn't really without knowing more about the learning difficulties that I wanted to find out more and so that's I really wanted to research and and that quest to want to find the answer. So it was, I enjoyed the research work I did once I started university. The one thing I find is the time, the time you need to research properly, the time and the opportunities given to go out and do the research work because, you know, teachers are such busy people, such a busy profession, and you give 100% to your children. So any time you have left... I think you're preparing and planning for them. And I I never found that time when I was a teacher to find that time to research. And I think I was fortunate enough, I really wanted to start my career in higher education and to be given that opportunity and that time. So I think, you know, so many teachers out there, given the time, would give so much to research work and be valuable um, contributors to, to the profession.
1: But time is needed. And a- <laughs> agreed agreed <laughs> strong sentiments there thank you bethan okay well that was a lovely deep dive into your research and congratulations again on your award thank and you. good luck with your future research now we've got our regular slots and you're going to be contributing to two of these thank you and our, and our first one is about well-being so tell us bethan how do you look after your own well-being i try to set a time
2: in my day where I think, right, work stops now. And so there's a certain time I think I've got to switch the laptop off and not go back onto emails because I think, we're in a, in a culture of, of a lot of emails, and a lot of emails can come in through the evening. Yes. And if I find I do have to write an email, I will try. Maybe I won't write it, but I won't send until the following morning. So I think from my well-being, it's knowing, right, now I have to stop, you know, and I, it's, I've got three girls, and it's quality time with them, eat with them, speak with them, and read them stories, do the bath, and sometimes put the laptop and the phone away yeah and then obviously when you come back to working in the morning can then start again at nine <laughs> so my my advice would be to uh have specific times where you think right i've got to stop working now and spend that quality time for yourself as well. Set those perimeters.
1: You have the power. <laughs>
0: you do. You often don't feel like you have, but you really have. Okay. And uh, something to try, either in the classroom, in your or in your professional life. What have you got? For oh us? my
2: gosh! Let me have a little thing. Now, as a classroom teacher, one trick I always used to have for the children I used, and they used to love this is it's to do really with behaviour management and to trying to get the children quiet and down. So if the class are quite noisy, my advice to any student teacher is don't go and raise your voice above them. Bring your voice below them. Come quieter. And then if I've got younger children, I always used to have stickers and they love stickers. So I always used to hide a little sticker in my hand. And then I used to just put my hand up really quietly and once the children noticed I wanted them to be quiet they used to put their hand up as well and so they knew they'd have a little sticker if they were the first hand up and you, your class will get very quiet very quickly when they know there's a little reward of <laughs> a sticker in your it just, hand It reminds
1: me of going to the dentist and I got really sad when I hit something like 17 or 18 and I wasn't allowed a sticker after going to the dentist I think uh, a sticker is, is alright by me whatever age you are
0: <laughs> There we go, stickers for all <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay um so i'm gonna hand over to tom now who's got something that he's been reading well it's actually not something you've been reading it's something you've been listening to no we're gonna widen it,
0: it out yes to things we've been listening and i know you've listened to this as well i have because i've uh, recommended it to you I, have. I was struck really early on in my time in the classroom um at the similarities between teaching and journalism i i Always found journalism quite an interesting uh, line of work, and the more I Funny thought that. about it, yeah, <laughs> here we are <laughs> sending out a podcast. Um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah, we actually, as teachers, we take you know a really complicated, you know, messy kind of thing, and we try to package it up in such a way that that people can kind of understand it, and, and it gets kind of given out in a, in a lesson. And so I quite early on started drawing my inspirations from the world of journalism, and I've continued doing that. I mean, I've obviously, continued doing. That in this version of the podcast. and I actually had an early version of the podcast which I used to send out when I was a teacher as well, far before podcasts were a thing. And there's a series of interviews with well known journalists out there. It's another podcast, it's called Media Masters. And uh, they're, they're okay, but every now and again you get an absolute gem. And I really enjoyed a recent episode of Media Masters in which they interviewed uh, the BBC's Middle East editor, Jeremy Bowen, who is a very veteran um, journalist, obviously. Of some trouble spots. You know, if you think year nine on a Friday afternoon is bad, you should probably try uh, bringing the news from the Israel-Palestine conflict to the, the tea time <laughs> audience. But that aside, I just really enjoyed listening to his interview because he was so kind of warm but also quite no nonsense about issues like you know neutrality and you know why the bbc is neutral and how mm. they go about telling the story and the kind of nuances of how he packages things up in his reports and that kind of thing and i just thought there were loads and loads of parallels for us as teachers from a slightly kind of left field source there
1: totally agree there were two things that i picked up on in that interview that i thought were useful to a teaching contest a context even <laughs> teaching contest <laughs> <The> teaching contest <laughs> <laughs> it's a teacher it feels a bit like that sometimes <laughs> um the first one was something that tom mentioned which is the idea of neutrality and being unbiased and it got me thinking about how important it is when we are delivering whatever material is in the classroom that we try not to put an i'm extending this to myself try not to put our own views forward about the importance of them getting the facts and being able to decide and you know even from a young age building up that sense of of agency and you know they are able to make their own choice I just thought that that was that was incredibly important obviously for journalists but also for teachers and the other one was he talked about writing reports and he talked about having to write reports for a much broader audience in broadcast uh, media so you've got listeners who know absolutely nothing about what he's talking about all the way up to people who've got a lot of knowledge and that got me thinking about uh, about mixed ability classrooms and differentiation so he talks about having to write them one single report that has something that gives the experts something to chew on and, and think oh I didn't didn't know that before and something that you know keeps the 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 novice the person who knows nothing you know along for the ride and 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 able to kind of grasp and understand the kind of key concepts that he's putting forward and i thought that that's a lesson that's what we try and do you know every
0: day differentiation isn't it yeah Yeah. i I just really like those parallels there because we all kind of listen and read lots of things about education but sometimes it's nice to get something from outside of that world
1: yeah totally agree okay i think that's another episode in the can we're done we're done so i would just like to say another massive thank you to our guests oh it's our pleasure thank you for having me <laughs> beth and roland it's been a pleasure and and very best of luck with all of your future research going forward thank um you. and we'll see you again soon
0: yes we'll be back for our light christmas episode will be our next one the next thing to hit your ears will be us with our feet up and a sherry in front of us being Ooh. probably uh, considerably less heavy than we usually are so that enjoy sounds that
1: lovely <laughs>
0: see you again bye, bye.
2: That was Emma and Tom's PGC podcast presented by Emma Thea and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was me, Bethan Rowlands. For more on dyscalculia, you can find me on Twitter at Rowlands underscore Bethan or check out the work of Brian Butterworth, Tony Atwood and Kinga Mozani. If you or your child have got the fear where maths is concerned, don't suffer in silence you can contact the British Dyslexia Association who have plenty to say about the lesser-known condition of dyscalculia. Now we're off to delete our email accounts for the evening. Until next time, take care and enjoy teaching.